Welcome to the FarmBits podcast. FarmBits is proudly produced by the Nebraska Digital Agriculture Team and hosted by students at the University of Nebraska. The FarmBits podcast comes to you each week to discuss the trends, the realities, and the value of digital agriculture. Through interviews with experts, producers, and innovators from across the agricultural industry, we hope that you step away from each episode with a new practical knowledge of digital agriculture technology. Hello, FarmBits followers, and welcome to another episode of the FarmBits podcast. I am Asia Macon. And I'm Micah Most, and we are glad to have you with us today. Our guest, Zach Smith, is a fifth-generation farmer from Iowa and one of the co-founders of a very unique farming operation called the Stock Cropper. The Stock Cropper leverages livestock and crop production in addition to its key role in providing locally sourced animal protein. Let's get into our conversation. Hi, Zach. Thank you for being with us today. So you are known as the stock cropper on YouTube and are also active on several different social media accounts to promote your farming operation. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background in farming? And also, is this something that you've always been involved with? Yeah, so um, so my background is this. I am a 42-year-old farmer from uh, northern Iowa. I grew up on a corn soybean operation. and uh, ended up going to Iowa State, studied agronomy, and I've spent most of my adult career over the last almost 20 years working kind of in um, what I would consider kind of the agricultural retail space in like various capacities as a salesman, and then most recently as a um, seed dealer and business owner, and uh, have been farming kind of along the way on the side up until uh, this year when I uh, took over another farm operation and uh, I'm going to be farming full time uh, here, uh, starting in the in the 2022 season. So the stock cropper is something that uh, evolved kind of over the way, and it was actually shaped by a lot of those uh, experiences. And we can get into kind of more of the details of of some of that stuff. But that's um, you know a little bit of, of who I am in the in the background story and how I got here today. Did you grow up around livestock at all? So I had a uh, I had a brief experience uh, with actual production livestock from when I was well as young as I can remember till I was about in middle school. We had a farrow to finish hog operation, and uh, so I got you know and and I was the oldest of five kids, and so I was kind of dad's right hand man uh, from a very young age, and so uh, even through well even though we got out of it in middle school, I spent a lot of time uh, doing pig chores and being part of that process. Uh, after that, I've uh, had livestock in my adult life, just kind of personally uh, raising for my own family. And we've been uh, raising and butchering all of our own meat uh, for about the last decade now. And I've, uh, you know, my kids know nothing other than that. We don't really buy much from the grocery store. We just uh, raise and process things together as a family um, every, you know, every summer and every winter. Very cool. Very cool. Yes, very interesting. So, Zach, can you please um, explain what exactly is stock cropping? Yeah, so stock cropping uh, is a concept um, that came about in the spring of 2020, so almost uh, right at two years ago. And 
it came about uh, from the, the need of needing to differentiate. Um, it was me and a couple other farmers trying to find a way out to get out from underneath low commodity prices and produce something on the farm in a fashion that wasn't a commodity. And so uh, our idea was um, we were looking at ways to maybe uh, try to, at least initially, try to figure out how to produce just more of commodities by using the principles of what's called strip intercropping, where you alternate strips of corn and soybeans across the field, and you get a boost in the corn production from something called the edge effect, which is just simply more sunlight getting on those outside plants. And uh, so they're able to photosynthesize more and they can, you know, boost production another 50%. The problem with that is that the crop that's grown in between usually gets shaded out somewhat. And so usually that's soybeans and it doesn't grow as well. So what we were trying to figure out is how can we uh, find a way to put something in that space so that we can have increased corn production, but also something with increased value beyond the soybeans in that space. And we were looking at things like relay cropping and uh, some other options. And then one of my friends uh, that we were brainstorming on this with, a guy by the name of Lance Peterson, had the idea, well, what if you put a pen of livestock in between those strips? And initially my reaction was, well, that's kind of a dumb idea. How would that ever work you know, at scale? But then very quickly, our imaginations kind of got the best of us. And we were like, well, you know, we're being, we're told all the time that agriculture doesn't have enough diversity in it right now. So what if instead of just a pen of like one species, what if we built an autonomous mobile livestock barn that was a four ring animal circus on wheel and had multiple species of livestock kind of paraded through strips of pasture in between strips of uh, corn and we would get the, the benefit of increased corn production. And now we would have something that would be, uh, you know, kind of a cacophony of high value animal protein that we could grow in these strips uh, in between to market. And then the best part about the system that we, you know, sh shortly discovered is that, you know, this really, in fact, is kind of the, a perfect rotation, low, a low carbon uh, rotation where we simply run the animals uh, in the pasture strips, we grow the corn next to it. And then the following year, we just simply flip and rotate that. And so now the corn is uh, you know, has most of its fertility needs uh, there underneath its feet. And uh, we're able to, you know, just, just keep rotating the thing back and forth and kind of have a, a perfect rotation that has a lot more biodiversity in it than what your just typical corn and soybean acre that you drive across the Midwest and see every day. Yeah, that is an incredible way to play those different components off each other and kind of maximize the returns from each what are what are some other uses of the stock, stock cropper outside of maybe like a production ag setting with crops? Yeah, so when we when we started the system, I mean, we were focused on this strip intercropping thing. But well, when we got further down the pipe, it's like, well, what else? What other venues could we put this into? And so then we started thinking, well, basically anything with it has a confined lane that you need to move livestock through. And so you have things like orchards, uh, you know, or, um, you know, vine crops like grapes, uh, or even think about things like solar arrays, you know, where, you know, solar panels in, in middle America right now are really controversial because they're taking land out of production. Think about if you could have an animal tractor that would move through and allow a farmer still to farm with solar panels, you know, what that would do. Um, and then beyond that, uh, one of the things I think we'll probably focus on right off the bat is making cluster clucks for 
you know, people in urban areas or in suburban areas where maybe you live outside a metroplex and you have five acres and an acreage and you've got this land that you just mow with a lawnmower and gas is going to be $32 a gallon by this summer, the way things are going. And what if instead of mowing lawn, what if you just employed a cluster cluck uh, on an acre or two to manage that vegetation and at the end of the summer and end of the fall, you've got uh, an awesome protein product to put in your freezer for the winter and, uh, and get through things. So, um, you know, all of these different venues are, you know, we're trying to develop the base technology right now. And then uh, I think very quickly we will have uh, different product segments that will go into lots of different potential use markets with this. What is your, what is your day-to-day look like right now? This time of year, obviously you don't have your stock cropper out there in the field running, um, but what kind of prep work goes in, in the off season? Yeah. So, um, you know, a lot of the prep work is like the last two winters has just been around uh, networking with people like this just didn't happen on my own. Like I had uh, other people that were involved in the formation of this thing and, and attracting other people to help me do it. Um, so I spent a lot of time on the phone um, connecting with folks kind of all over the place. Um, you know, like this last weekend, uh, I was at my manufacturing partner in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, um, a company called Don Equipment. And we were working on um, the last kind of design bits on the 2022 um, stock cropper barn that uh, will be our first attempt um, at a truly uh, autonomous um, version of the barn. Last year, we were able to program the barn, um, but it wasn't able to empower the barn last year, but we weren't able to uh, steer the barn automatically. And so that's what we're uh, working on right now is getting the technology in place to, uh, to be able to do that. So, um, you're, you know, you're right, like this time of the year, there's not a lot going on, but within a month here, we'll be planting pasture strips at our uh, research demonstration site um, outside of Buffalo Center, Iowa, on my own farm, and uh, getting ready for a lot of the promotional um, activities that we'll have throughout the summer. Uh, and yeah, just, you know, getting ready for the grind, you know, the last couple of years, I mean, I've been, the startup company has been something I've been doing kind of when I can fit it in. And that's part of the reason I walked away from my seed dealership here uh, about a year ago, uh, so that I had more time just to focus on the startup because um, we have a lot of interest in what we're doing and we, I needed to give the, the time that that deserved. So uh, before we get into maybe the more technical aspects of the stock cropper, I have a quick follow-up. What, what's in your pasture strips that you'll be planting here soon? Yeah, so uh, the pasture strips are, are planted at different times based off of when the barn in the summer grazing pattern will be there. Um, but I'll start off with kind of a cool season mix um, where we'll have maybe uh, some oats and um, uh, annual ryegrass and some rape and uh, some peas and um, I'm trying to think what else is in that early mix. There's one more thing I'm forgetting, but then we usually for the summer mixes, like in July and August, we, we switched to more like drought tolerant um, species um, like uh, sedan grass and uh, Japanese millet uh, along with cow peas. And uh, they've done a nice job of really taking off in the heat of the summer. And then they're also able to be able to come back and be grazed a second time, which we usually hit the same chunk of land twice in, uh, in one growing season. 
Sure, that makes a lot of sense. I was just curious. Asia and I are both uh, animal scientists, so we know a lot more about that end of things than the cropping. So, well, you probably know a lot more, but you should probably tell me what I should be planning. I guess maybe uh, <laughs> I should turn turn this around, and start asking you questions. <laughs> I think you got things going in the right direction right now. So, yes, it does sound like it. Um, so Zach, what was it like forming the business plan for the stock cropper? And um, did you have any other previous experiences with entrepreneurship? Uh, I laugh because you know there we haven't you know we haven't really formed a business plan. So much of this has just been kind of <laughs> fly by the seat of our pants. Uh, you know, this is I mean I've been I guess a kind of an entrepreneur, but in more of a much more. Uh, template provided for you. You know, I was a pioneer seed dealer for six years and that's a fairly straightforward business. You have kind of a set customer list. This is a totally, totally different thing where you have to start something completely from the ground up. And I, you know, uh, I have a lot of passions in this space, but I have to find really quickly a lot of people that help fill in my shortcomings in my skill set to, to try to effectively move, um, move this forward. So, you know, I've, the one thing that I, I think I have done right is network and uh, uh, network hard with people. And then I've also participated in a couple things like um, the John Papa John Entrepreneurial Center. I've gone through a couple uh, entrepreneurial uh, startup programs and had some success there. And that's connected me with other folks uh, to kind of plug into the space. And so I, I try to just surround myself with mentors and people that know more than me, and that's not too hard to find. So... Absolutely. Uh, to that end, you've mentioned some of your teammates already, but would you go ahead and list all of your collaborators on this project for us? Yeah. So the stock cropper was the, the brainchild of three individuals, myself, uh, a good friend and farmer to the north of me, Sheldon Stevemer, um, who's really been influential in kind of my interest in this space for over the last decade. And then another farmer by the name of Lance Peterson in central Minnesota. And then, uh, uh, the others that I would say would be my 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 new business partner in manufacturing, uh, manufacturing engineer business partner uh, Joe Bassett of uh, Don Equipment, um, and then also uh, Jason Mock, who is a farmer and collaborator on this project, who's going to actually be buying some of the first stock croppers and putting at a new uh, regenerative ag property north of Indianapolis here this summer. Zach, what hardware is involved with the stock cropper besides the, the regular materials? Like, is there, are there any machinery involved to help with, um, I guess, put down the seeds and stuff like that? Yeah, so, um, you know, basic, just basic farm machinery is what I use. You know, I, I bought a grain drill to plant the pasture with and, uh, um, otherwise I use just my normal, uh, you know, corner soybean planter to plant the, the intercrop strips in between. Um, so it really hasn't required much that I didn't already have kind of on hand as a normal, uh, grain producer. So, uh, you know, uh, well, I should say I need, you know, this, uh, the stock cropper barn needs to be, you know, chored or, uh, or refilled with, you know, feed and water, uh, every couple of days. And so, uh, you know, we have a UTV set up with the capacity to drive out to it and, uh, and keep it supplied and keep the animals fed and watered. Most of our listeners will be tuning in in an audio format. So could you describe what the stock cropper looks like? 
Yeah. So uh, the stock cropper barn, which which we affectionately call um, the cluster cluck, uh, which I think is aptly named, um, it is uh, it's divided into three or four different segments and compartments. So um, think about you know, and and again, we're trying to do things that logically make sense. So we're we're going into a pasture strip, so we want to have ruminant animals out front. So. Uh, the past two years, we've either had sheep, uh, goats, or uh, we had uh, last year, we had a barn with two calves in front that would kind of be our lawnmowers to make good use of the, of, uh, the, of the forage mix that we had out front. And then behind that, we, we usually had uh, pigs. So uh, in the, both barns had 10, uh, 10 different pigs uh, in them as well, um, or in the, in the rear grazing pen. And in between those two grazing pens is the central barn itself. And the central barn usually has been split down the middle so that on one side, uh, the ruminants would be able to go out into the front grazing pen. And then in the other side of the, the enclosed barn, the animals could go out a door into the back rear grazing pen. Okay. Behind the pig rear grazing pen, we had uh, two chicken tractors. Uh, that were hooked and then they were kind of our finishing device so we had kind of lawnmowers up front with the ruminants a uh, little bit of tillage with the snouts on the pigs and then our finishing basket uh, coming behind were uh, the two uh, the two chicken tractors with the with the poultry so it's a lot of stuff going on uh, it's a lot of stuff to engineer for when you're trying to keep animals on the move and not have things escape or have predators get in um, but uh, but yeah, it, it kind of looks like it sounds a four ring animal circus on wheels. It's absolutely fascinating. I, as soon as I heard about the stock cropper, I jumped over on YouTube and started trying to find some videos so I could see it in action. Did you ever at any point consider laying hens versus broilers or would that be oh, too much work? No, no, no. Yeah. There, there will definitely the backyard. Uh, I, I actually have uh the version I drew up the prototype for what it's going to look like. Uh, uh, we call it the stock cropper egg hopper is, uh, is the name of it. And, uh, <laughs> and our slow, our slogan is get laid this morning. <laughs> so you probably don't want to put that on your podcast, but, uh, <laughs> or you could, I don't care, but, uh, Oh. That's one thing with this thing. We kind of like a little bit of edge on it, make it kind of fun. But yeah, no, more, most definitely. Like, uh, I think especially for backyard stuff, um, the uh, the idea of having an autonomous uh, hen Roomba in your backyard, so that you don't, you know, burn your grass, or you have to worry about your chickens free roaming and getting into your neighbors and crapping on their deck or getting oh. eaten by the dog. Like something that's confined, um, but keeps them moving, so you don't you know, damage, you know, your own, your own uh, grass in a, in a, in a lawn setting. Um, but you can walk out to it every morning and open up the hopper and have fresh eggs. Like I eat fresh eggs every day from my farm and I, I don't know life, uh, what that's like without being able to do that. You mentioned that you, you haul feed out to the animals. So are you supplementing what they're getting or are you actually feeding them? Yeah, no, absolutely. We are. So, you know, I mean, with ruminants, I mean, we could, if, if the mix is good enough, um, like with our cattle, we didn't supplement anything there. Um, we just allowed them to have, you know, free, free browsing and our sheep and goats, uh, we pretty much did the same. We did give them a little bit of a, an additional ration, um, that we had in a creep feeder, but then, you know, the monogastric animals, um, you know, they don't, I mean, they, they will gnaw on, you know, the pigs will chew on the grass and, and 
pull the roots up and eat them, but uh, and the chickens will peck and do the same a little bit, but they need to have um, an actual mixture of or a grain ration. And so we, uh, <clears throat> yeah, in the back of our UTV, we bring out, you know, every two days enough feed essentially to keep them, keep them going. So they would finish at a normal level. So, you know, that we would start the, um, the, you know, the, basically the, the, the barn is meant to grow uh, one crop of each species outside of the chickens. We, we can get two turns of chickens in the growing season that we have it out on pasture. So between, you know, our growing season with the barn outside is kind of between the, the warm months when we're not freezing. Uh, so from like, you know, the end of May in Northern Iowa to, uh, you know, the end of October, essentially is when we, we have everything out on pasture. Yeah. Thanks for indulging me that question. I was, that was one I had after watching the video. I was really curious to know how that worked. Um, Zach, could you please share with us an example of a time when something went really wrong in your farming and how you overcame that? You know, the stock cropper was formed again because uh, of low commodity prices, something that is completely out of uh, my own control. And I think too often in farming, we look for other people to solve our problems, uh, whether it's policymakers or companies or people delivering magic products that are going to fix all of our issues. And sometimes I think we need to do a better job of looking inward. And that's the spot. Like, I think with the thing that we got right was we didn't look to other people to solve uh, 270 corn for us. We thought, what can we do differently to find and build, build value? And I think when times get tough, no matter in what aspect of life, uh, having the willingness to be creative and dig and, and maybe go outside what the, the herd um, is thinking or doing um, can get you into a lot better spot. And so, you know, that was a really dark time uh, two springs ago when we thought there's no way we could ever make money. Now, eventually things came back around. Um, but, you know, because we were open to that, it's allowed us to kind of explore this other space, which now even that corn is, you know, today, you know, I don't know what it is, it keeps going up by the minute, it seems like with the craziness of the world. It's really irrelevant to me because I'm a lot more excited about this other piece um, and the potential that has for not only me, but for hopefully a lot of other people whenever the world uh, comes out of this funk that it's in right now. This episode will be a part of our series on robotics and automation. So I wonder if you could speak for a little while um, to the role the automation plays in the stock cropper and how, how that's going to come about. Yeah. So I'll, I'll start with saying that, um, you know, when we came up with this idea, we didn't have the expertise to put the automation in. It kind of came in stair steps. So the first year when we built it, um, you know, we, I, you know, cause we bootstrapped this thing ourselves. Uh, I, uh, we, I just simply used what I had. So I hooked up an electric uh, winch with a cable to a battery and uh, we just had a push button, you know, a way to essentially advance the barn twice a day, once in the morning and once uh, about five in the afternoon. And uh, that was the tech we had the first year until the very end. Uh, then we got, uh, we ended up putting electric motors on for our field day to show that we could uh, essentially do this with electric power um, and move, move this big contraption. Um, and so from there, that's after we demonstrated that, that's when I entered the um, uh, partnership with Don about six months later, uh, Don Equipment. And it be, you know, because it became really apparent to me that if this is something that was going to scale, 
um, we were going to need to be able to control the barn uh, remotely so that we had the ability to advance it um, more frequently than what we would want to be there. I mean, imagine having 20 of these things in a field raising livestock. You don't want to have to go out and move a tractor around three times a day to every one of them to move them. Number one, you'd wreck your pasture in having something you're driving out trying to pull through that. Um, but number two, it's just not, it's just a lot of time. And so I would rather you know, I don't, with having autonomy in this system, I, it's not because like other farming systems, I want to replace the need for people uh, on the farm. Um, I want the farmer that is doing this to be running around being the artisan animal taker or caretaker uh, with spending time on choring and making sure the health of the animals and the conditions of the animal is good rather than yanking stuff across the field. So that's where, um, and, you know, and especially because the the, the pace of moving um, the barns changes. It's dynamic. If your forage is short, right, you have to speed it up. Uh, if the, as the animals get bigger, they graze stuff down quicker. So you need to change and have the ability to customize that. Um, you know, or if you have a storm coming in and you're worried about the barn sitting in a low spot and you need to move them to higher ground so that your chickens don't all drown, which is a threat in the system. Uh, we need to have the ability to advance and have that automation built in where uh, it will not only propel itself, but guide itself uh, correctly. So it doesn't run over, you know, the, uh, the adjacent uh, crops that we're trying to grow next to it. So what is the advantage to incorporating this stock cropper? And what benefits arise to using this kind of farming? Um, so the, the, the biggest benefit, in my opinion, is it's something there's a lot of talk about regenerative agriculture and low carbon footprint farming and trying to provide more value for farmers but i've yet to see something i think that comes as close to this where essentially you're you're you've created a system that is a a self-closed loop where you're growing your own feed grain or your own feed grain ration that you would hopefully get set up to process on your own farm uh, and then feed back to your animals and your animals are providing all the fertilizer uh, for said feed stuff. Um, and so for people that are interested in something that is very, very efficient and minimizes the need for outside inputs and maximizes the potential for production success through kind of just arranging things differently. Um, I think especially, you know, there, I, I, I say this in everything I'm on, it seems like, but there's going to be two different paths in the future of agriculture. One where you're focused just in commodity production, where you just focus on, I need to get as big as I can, as fast as I can and produce as cheap as I can. And then there's another lane where you're going to be focused on uh, growing products for consumers uh, that care about how things are grown. And you need to have um, a meaningful story behind that. And so, when you sum all that together, that's what I'm trying to put together to hopefully attract people to this and get them interested in, in the advantage that this system has over some of the other, uh, I would say, competitive narratives or other production systems that don't look um, like this as much. Exactly. So just to follow up, do you believe that this stock cropping method, do you, do you think that this should be used by all farmers? Oh, it would be awesome. I would love to sell millions of cluster clucks uh, to, to people. So, uh, but no, I mean, I, I don't, uh, this isn't going to be a fit for, for everyone. And that's, and that's just fine. 
um, because this is really, I mean, the, the, the end product of what we're trying to produce is a high uh, quality animal protein um, to consumer or for consumers that really um, were, are make buying decisions based off of that. And that, uh, that market is only, you know, so big, um, essentially. So, no, I don't expect this is going to take over like wildfire, but I do think that this is, um, I, I do think this is truly um, an interesting thing to put in, uh, to, to be a lead pony in the race, to have an actual scalable, regenerative um, production system. You know, there's lots of other things I think that want to attach labels, but um I haven't seen anything else yet that I think uh, gets as close as to what I think we could have here with some time and space. So, yeah, as you're taking this product to market, what kind of tech skills will it require to operate the the autonomous components? Hopefully, as much tech skills as it takes to run an iPhone, you know, which is not much. I mean, we need to we need to make this thing uh, on our side of the fence. Um, as idiot proof as possible. And, uh, um, you know, with capacities to override, uh, the tech when things go wrong. So, um, you know, backup systems essentially to, to be able to advance and to be able to troubleshoot things. So, um, but yeah, I, I don't want, I mean, we need to make it as simple as, you know, that we could have an app where we could voice command and say, Siri, move, move the cluster cluck and at 1 PM. And it would, it would just take care of it and have the, you know, the GPS guidance on board to, uh, to, to steer it. And uh, it would just do what it's supposed to do. Um, now I know it's a lot easier to say that and do it. And we haven't demonstrated that fully yet, but I think, uh, I think you'll see that from us here this summer. Yeah. Definitely looking forward to keeping up with you and seeing what exciting things are yet to come. Yeah. Same here. I truly enjoy um, the, the YouTube videos. I cool. probably spent like 30 minutes going through all the videos. Um, so at what advice would you offer for someone who is looking to make changes on their, on like on their farming operations? Okay. What, what advice, uh, what advice would I have for people wanting to make changes? Well, I think, you know, the, <laughs> the, the biggest reason people, you know, are usually afraid of change or trying to change is the gray matter between their ears and just, um, or the, 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 the fear of the, how they're going to be perceived by others around them in, in making change. And, you know, I, I've never really been, um, you know, in my life, I've never really, uh, cared about what other people have thought much. And I, it's just been kind of natural for me to, I don't want to say I'm attracted to being different. Um, but I, it, it, I've been, I've gained far more in my life in like all the aspects of life, family, business, friendships by, um, not being afraid to stick out a little bit. And so I, I guess that's what I would tell folks. I mean, if, uh, if you're looking, if you're considering change, there's a reason why you are, and it's because what you're doing probably isn't working or bringing you happiness. So, what, what, what do you have to lose? You know, um, I, you know, if, if I can implore any wisdom, I, I think it would just be by saying that and, and, uh, don't be afraid to take a chance. Exactly. Thank you. I think those are some, that was really great advice. Thank you. Where can listeners go to learn more about what you're doing? 
Yeah. So, uh, our YouTube channel, um, you know, during the growing season, especially, um, I haven't been as good this winter with putting things up, but, uh, I'm actually going to be editing one after we get done with this. Uh, so the YouTube channel, uh, the stock cropper, um, on YouTube, um, on Twitter, I usually, uh, I, I put quite a bit out on there so you can, um, follow me at Zebulus prime. Um, and maybe you can just put that, it's easier to put that in the show notes, um, than anything else, but I'm, uh, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram. You can just search the stock cropper. Uh, we have a website, the stock uh, and that's going to be relaunched here, um, about by planting season here. So, um, we're, you know, we're basically on all, all the socials. I have some people telling me I need to get on TikTok, uh, but at 42, I, I just don't know if I'm that hip or cool to do it yet. So. <laughs> Listen, you you would definitely be great on TikTok. Everyone is on TikTok. <laughs> I need somebody to. Well, I don't know. My, I have teenage daughters. I they just get embarrassed with their dad asking them questions about TikTok. So I might have to reach you out should, to you guys. Yes, you should really look into it. I think you would thrive on TikTok. <laughs> cool, cool. Thank you very much to Zach Smith for taking the time to join this episode of the Farm Bits podcast. My favorite part of this episode is seeing how Zach and the Stock Cropper team are using automation to integrate crop and livestock enterprises and leveraging them against each other to maximize returns. It is really exciting to see how Zach is incorporating both livestock and crop production, as well as contributing to the One Health approach through the collaboration of plant animal, and human health. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a five-star review on your favorite streaming service. We look forward to sharing another digital ag story with you next week. Thank you for taking the time to join us today on the Farm Bits podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts to be informed about the latest content each week. We welcome your feedback. So if you have comments or questions for us, please reach out to us over email, on Twitter, or in the reviews section of your favorite podcast platform. Our contact information can be found in the show notes. We would like to thank Nebraska Extension for their support of this podcast and their commitment to providing high quality informational material to members of the agricultural community in Nebraska and beyond. The opinions expressed by the hosts and guests on this podcast are solely their own and do not reflect the views of Nebraska Extension or the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. We look forward to you joining us next week for another episode of Farm Bits.